Welcome back to The Right Angle. And G-Man, have you heard that song, The Things We Do For Love? I have. That famous song. I'm singing The Things I Do For Podcasting because we're going to have company over. So I'm holed up in one of our spare bedrooms <laughs> with the most <laughs> hackneyed setup you can imagine. <laughs> but, oh man, uh. it's so funny. So funny. Well, we have got a special... Uh, it's funny, we always say special, but we really never know how special they are until the show's over. So we'll kind of hold our cards on that. But we've got David on with us tonight. David, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Awesome. So David and I have uh, a professional relationship, we should say, but he, uh, I guess we're not going to do like a whole interview of him like we've done with Tizan and some of the others in the past, but just give us a few uh, sentences about yourself, and then we'll just dive in like we normally do. Well, I guess I think uh, the beginning of my story, I really grew up in quite a small town, less than a 1,000 population. Uh, but I went to a lot of different schools, uh, kind of moved, bounced around, whether it was because mom and dad wanted me in a different school, um, just all sorts of different reasons. But at, at a young age, I feel like something that really was quite impactful Um on my life was I had had cancer when I was 10 years old and I don't like talking about this story because it I, I want somebody to pat me on the back and be like oh good job you made it and like I'm so sorry it's it's something that I enjoy talking about because um you know at the end of the day I I'm not talking about the cancer because I wanted to have you know the cancer card but it's something that was so impactful on my life I would never take it back. Um, I don't want to have it happen again, but I really feel it's those hard moments in life that really make or break us as a person. And not saying it made me an amazing person, but it really made me respect life in many different ways that I probably wouldn't see if it wasn't for that. And, you know, having my mom and, you know, support from family, mom, dad, grandparents, you know, and seeing that and friends and family and understanding the importance of having a group around you that takes care of you. And I really, that's something that I try to pass along every day when I go to work, even if I don't think about that when I come in every day. Um, it's just kind of part of me where I'm, I see somebody not doing well. And I know that, you know, I feel I have a duty, you know, to be a part of that. That's very so. cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And while while you guys are chatting there, I'm gonna hook up my headphones okay. to my phone. That way it doesn't hear you guys talking. All right. Here. All right. Wow, that's that's pretty uh a ten year old G Man. Have have you ever run across someone with whether I mean whatever the supposed problem is at such a young age that's overcome it? I'm trying to think. I'll I'll think while you talk. <laughs> yes, I have actually. I have a very, very good friend whose son had cancer at, I think he was eight, I mm. believe. It was uh, bone cancer and had quite a long uh, spell of medical things going on with him. He is, he is perfectly fine today, um, and he's a, an excellent, excellent golfer, by the way. Huh. And um, he just... He had a very, very good attitude. His parents, again, like David said, you know, were behind him all the way and were there for everything for him. Came out of it perfectly fine now. And he's married and has a, has a child and, you know, just a wonderful life now. Awesome. But, but, at, the, but, but at that age, uh, you, you say to yourself, uh, how does a kid, you know, get his mind wrapped around something like that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe they're young enough that they, they just say, I've got this problem and, and they'll fix it and yeah. I'll be good. Um, a lot of times yeah. that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, and that's, I think that was the big one. I um, As I got older, and I think even in the moment, maybe not in the moment, but especially after it happened, I understood that I wasn't really the one who, went through the hell mm. i mean i did but mom and dad and the family they they had a lot on the line you know i mean a little kid at 10 years old you know i wanted to play video games i wasn't 
you know, I, I wasn't freaking out going, is my son going to die? This like, I don't know, you know, being a little kid, I, I don't like it to sound blasé, but I, you know, especially to the children that have lost their life. And that was something that really was impactful to me too, was being in the same room. And I remember just at least one specific kid. I don't remember his name, but I remember he just nice family, seemed like a nice kid, a little bit younger than me. And I remember him passing away and me thinking to myself, like, why, why am I the one that is surviving this? And everybody's being so positive and saying, I'm going to make it through. And, and then, you know, 20 some years later, here I am still cancer free. Um, which they don't expect, uh, hands in the air. Apparently they, uh, don't expect it to ever come back or pass through the family because it's such a rare cancer. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Wow. So maybe that's another thing that I feel pretty, I feel like I, I dealt with it and it made me realize I don't want that again. There's a lot of things I do to try to avoid it. Um, whether it be just even like worrying about plastic and styrofoam in the microwave, you know, hmm. stuff like that. And, uh, yeah, probably a little bit overly concerned about things like that, but. Uh, huh. Yeah, well, definitely was a big impact on my life. That's quite a yeah. That's that's quite a, a way to start out because you think typically, however you grow up feels normal to you. I mean, that's how I've always felt, and that's kind of been my philosophy. But I don't know that that takes into account things like that because obviously, I would assume no one, you know, none of your classmates and none of your friends was going through that same thing. So, no. Yeah. I, so in that way, did did you have, do you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, I have one older sister who I felt got left behind a little bit in the situation, and I've I don't think it was anybody's, you know, I don't think anybody meant it. Um, Mom and dad were in their early twenties when I was diagnosed. I shouldn't say early; they were probably in their mid twenties at this point. Okay. Now that I'm really thinking about it, late late twenties. But you know, you're already. I mean, I'm 33 right now, and. A, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to be a person and I couldn't imagine, you know, being them in that moment or any parent for that matter. Yeah. So just really lucky that I had support. And I think that's the big thing that um, people really need support. And it's so important for us to do that because not everybody has the moms and the dads like that. And I hate, you know, I'm very lucky, but I hate, I don't even like to talk to people about that because I know other people don't always have that. Yeah. So um try to stay humble over here <laughs> yep that's that's uh right up there all right well great start and uh welcome aboard g-man what do you have on your list tonight <laughs> i i got nothing after that <laughs> that's, uh, that's that's uh that's just too awesome to 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 follow up with practically anything uh which is um, why i let you go first <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> I, I mean it's just you, you it's like you said david you 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 go through that stuff and then then you survive it and then everything, all these other problems in the world, I'm assuming to you, seem very, very small. Uh, uh, yeah, it's funny you say that because that's something that I always wonder is that I wonder if I took the excitement of living, continuing to live a little bit too far. Hmm. And what I mean by that is I feel like I was just always silly and goofy and messing around and didn't care about school and... Um, and then when I graduated, it was very similar. Well, and I, sh I took college much more serious when I graduated because I was really interested in specific topics. And that was neat to be able to see me barely graduate high school. Um, did you guys know you can graduate with a 1.8 GPA? <laughs> I think it's even lower than that now. <laughs> I, I'm sure with, with the, the standards today, but I, I was surprised. Wow. I thought you needed to get C's or something to make it out. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> so, but once, you know, and I, I, again, you know, I don't know, I know my parents took grade serious to a degree, but it, you know, I don't, can't ever put that on them. And I personally am kind of happy the way things turned out that I, I was always kind of a pusher backer when it came to a lot of things. I probably get that from the family a little bit, but, um, but now that I get to actually study, I study more now than I ever did in school. Huh school didn't mean anything to me like they were teaching me things that just for some reason and especially at the time just I couldn't connect them to my life 
Yeah, I, I imagine. Go ahead, G-Man. I was just going to say that's interesting because that's pretty much exactly what I went through, too. I I read, you know, world history all the time now. I read anything that's interesting to me, yeah. which I, I never did before, and yeah. uh, probably had about the, the the same grade average that you did. And uh, <laughs> let, let me ask you something. You're, you're still young enough. Uh, when you went to apply for jobs or however you did it, did it, did anyone ask you, you know, for your grade point or where you graduated from and, and that kind of stuff? I think I was always a little bit lucky that I, I, my, one of my first jobs working at a nursing home in activities, that was just, I was still in high school. And I think because I had a good track record with, I, so my girlfriend's mother was, you know, what was she, the director at this nursing home. So I ended up at a young age getting a job. I think it might have been 17 or something like that. And um, so having a job where I was stably working there, um, I don't know. I, I And it's so weird. I think maybe I'm, I don't want to say a smooth talker, but get me in the <laughs> interview. And I was usually, I only missed one one job interview and it was the big boy one and i think it was meant to be <laughs> okay yeah i i uh i don't know too many people who have struck out in life because they didn't get the job at big boy but unless it was the ceo position yeah, that's true <laughs> that's true so did you after high school did you not go to college right away, or did you go right away? I, I within about six months, okay. it was something like that. I think I let one semester go by, and I was like, I'm going to have a little fun, and I jumped right into it. Still never did good at math, but, um, yeah, I jumped right into college, uh, worked full-time, part-time college. I ended up, uh, at a certain point, working with kids in lockup, essentially, hmm. uh, removed from their homes for... Uh, usually criminal behavior. It was like past the point of, you know, family or local remediation. And they would be put in these homes generally six months minimum uh, was usually about how long they'd be in there. And it wasn't just, oh, you come in and you go. It was um, you, when you stood up, you had to ask to step up. When you're, especially in group rooms or any, any public room, it was step up, Yes, yes, you may. Okay. Wow. And it, you could only have three kids standing up in the room at any given time. And if there was more, you'd start asking kids to sit down. If they didn't sit down, it was a timeout, hands behind their back, facing the wall. Wow. Um, it was very, and there was fights broke out constantly. Uh, it, was, it was essentially a mini prison with kids that were growing and still learning how to be people. Um, only boys. I think the youngest we had in there was eight. Oh, uh, No older than anybody, 19. It was it, all, the sky was the limits with why the kids were in there, but most of the time it was, um, I think, lacking actual guidance. Yeah, you know, lacking real love and empathy, and showing them how to really be good people. And that's what's really sad. Usually, when I see somebody that's in this position, they are even if they're an adult. I somebody had said this recently, and it it connects with me you know, that adult was somebody's baby, was somebody's little child one time, you know, whether they treated them good or not, you know, and I feel like most people have good at their core if they are shown, you know, there's those experiments, uh, can't remember who did it, but, you know, they put a kid in a room with a clown, this little blow-up clown, and the adults would, in front of these young children, they would punch the heck out of this clown thing, mm. and when they'd leave the room, they would see what the children did, and generally what the, the adult did, the children would follow up, and they'd beat it and punch it and punch it. Well, then they'd do the same thing, a similar situation, new kid, but instead they hug it and tell it nice things. And what do you think the kids do? Yep. The kids say nice things and give it hugs. And, you know, I think the human mind is super, super malleable. Not I think, it is. And it's why Stalingrad and... Uh, or, or what's the words I'm thinking of really? Um, that's, that's why the Holocaust happened, you know, because people were warped. I, I see a lot of people with very good and bad potential. <laughs> Man. How long did the kids stay at, in this so-called, as you say, prison? If, it, if there was an Most, eight-year-old, would they stay till they're 18? 
No. So typically it was, they would hope they'd be out in six months. Some of these kids would be out in, you know, it might take a couple of years. Usually, so what it was is they had to graduate out of the program and to show that they were ready. And if they earned certain negative behavior, they'd call them a 1-5, and 1-5 would be they'd have they'd go back and they'd have to do like a week extra. The 2-5 ended up being like if it was bad enough where they got into a fight, they'd have to stay an extra two weeks. The problem is, is you get a kid that's bad enough and not behaving right, you get enough of those and it keeps piling up and they can't even get to the point where they're uh, able to get visits and have people come and like, and if they do, it's like short lived. And I mean, you know, I mean, you, you can't, <laughs> you can't beat everybody up you see and throw pee out your door in milk cartons oh, and geez. go hang out with people. It was wild. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, this there there's so many stories with it. Um I I'd say there there was one and I don't want to bore you with all these different stories, but there was one that I remember and I'd only been working at the company for maybe 2 months, 3 probably 3 months or so and I show up to work and we're doing uh, a team team meeting. We always did before we started shift and the manager of the shift was explaining that one of the students was assaulting all of the white staff. And so they ended up, they knew I had a good rapport with most all the kids and just so happens almost all the staff that weren't group leaders of their own group, you know, we, there was a bunch of white guys and they said, David, we're going to put you, uh, we're going to put you in there with, I won't say the kid's name doesn't matter. We're going to put you in there with him because we know you have a better relationship with most of these guys. I'm like, Oh gosh. All right. So this kid ends up just saying something silly. He's a black kid, uses the N-word on the mic. He took one of the staff's microphones and was pretending he was chasing somebody around like he's saying, get that N-word, oh. get that N-word, just like pretending he was staff chasing a student or a kid. And so so group leader, you know, and I'm new, the group leader says to me, David, you need to make him take a timeout, you know, facing the wall. I'm like, this kid is assaulting all of the white staff and you want me to go make this guy make it take a timeout i'm going okay and so we're struggling 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 and i remember the what got him triggered and maybe he was going to assault me anyways i guess i've never really thought about it quite like this but the word i said to him because he was saying it's about to get popping in here and i'm like why do you keep saying that you're gonna you're gonna beat me up and do all this stuff when you're not going to and i meant that like we're like, buds, you're not going to beat me up. What are you talking? And he just looked at me like, I'm not. That kid had his shirt off so quick, and he came at me, punched me oh. in the face, and I backed up to like just try to uh, brace myself, trip over a laundry bag that's right behind me in the middle of the hall. Oh. So we're tussling around, and this restraint, and the reason I'm really telling you this is because this restraint was about two hours long, and he was spitting on us and swearing at us and – calling us every name in the book but oh my gosh I'm probably I probably shouldn't even say this on on recording but I'm going to because he he continued like shouting at us this this whole time and the next day I see him he's he's locked in his room he's not allowed to leave his room and, how, and these are all like is, locked how old down is he? this kid was 16 and you were how old at the time probably 23 okay probably 23 at this point and maybe 22 it was yeah my, wow it was i was probably 22 because this is before my wife and i met or my you know who was at that would have been the girlfriend okay so yeah probably about 22 um so either way i show up the next day he's locked in his room and he said he looks out the window and he said something to me and he calls me a cracker hmm. he goes says something something cracker and he's looking at me i said hey let me know if you need anything, honky. <laughs> and he just had the biggest grin on his face. He just smiles at me and just and ever since then we never had an issue. Wow. Him and I we we got along. But it was funny cuz it just wasn't mad. Like call me whatever you want and then to call him cracker. He's like or or excuse me, honky. He's like, "What did he just call me?" Like Oh my gosh! I, again, this you know, being on recording, it is what it is. Yep, we you know. we've had many conversations um, 
G-Man and I and pitch in any time about the whole phenomena of what certain people aren't and are not are and are not allowed to say in terms of slang derogatory words. Oh boy. And yeah. where I mean like you were saying, you know, he says the N-word, but of course if a white guy says it, but then if a black guy says this, then is that offensive? And if, you know, an Asian guy says something, do you have sort of a general philosophy on where you come down on on that whole topic? It's, well, you know, I, I think it, it's really hard because obviously being the color we are, it's it's a strange conversation to have. And obviously I only... The only time I've ever said it, well, listening to rap music, I'm a, I'm a big, I used to listen to a lot of rap music. So I've always, I found it slightly offensive for somebody to tell me to be frustrated if I was to ever sing a song, to sing along, yeah. to sing along with a song was something I genuinely am enjoying and, and I'm in the culture. And I, I guess that's the thing is, you know, it, it makes you feel like you can't be a part of the culture if, and I don't want to go around saying the word, but if I have to edit myself while I'm saying, like I have to, I should just turn the music off and then not be a part of it. So it's a really weird, I mean, I'll, I'm not going to say it to people. I've had different, I, at least I shouldn't say people. I know at least one black guy said, David, you can use the word. And I said, no, huh. thank you, but I don't want to just because I don't want to offend anybody or get too comfortable with it. Um, I have a friend and in, in, in somebody that you know uh, has said that he even questions whether he should use it. He's a black fellow. Yeah. Uh, huh. And he said, you know, I don't even know if I, he said, I feel, you know, like it's a word that if I don't feel like other people should say it, why, you know, why am I using it? But, you know, I, I try not to judge other people. They can use what words they want, but it is a weird, it's a weird conversation. And I just recently was told, and I hate this conversation, but was told that I need to be mindful of my white privilege. Oh, and, oh don't get and I know, and, and it just made me feel so like nobody knows what I've been through or how much love I have for other people. And yeah, maybe I don't have certain situations that other people have went through, but I just, I go straight to the, what about the kid of another race that's locked in a basement being abused raped and they never see the light of day and that's their life and what what kind of privilege is that so i think it's where what where are you at in time and space like if we were in africa 300 five 600 years ago what you know and i was in the middle of nowhere like what privilege would i have yeah i don't i don't know and i i don't want to be ignorant about it and i'd love to have the conversation with anybody i just i don't think it's it's weird that I have to feel like somebody's going to get mad at me about exploring the conversation. You know, at the end of the day, I I know I don't have all the right answers. It's like it's really it's hard to live life. I, I nobody knows all the right answers and I think there's so many people that are quick to think like to judge my book by my cover. Yeah. You know, I've had so many people say, "David, I had you messed up." I feel so lucky to work where I work because of the different experiences and people I've gotten to meet. And also like before, like I thought that I was a diverse person before or accepting. And I think I just didn't even understand what there was to accept out there until I've continued to get to know people and realize maybe why they see things the way they see things. I I know you listen to Jordan Peterson and he had, had a debate and I can't remember the the gentleman that he was debating with and you know the the fellow he was talking to was a black man and he, Jordan said to him so if I owe you for if I owe you reparations for my white privilege how much do I owe you said do I owe you 20% do I owe you 30% of what I make and and how far do you go and who's picking how much I owe you you know and it's so true it's like and if you go back super far, I mean, who took over this person? Who took over this person? Right. Who took over who's, you know, this Indian's land? Like the Indians would take land from other Indians. And I'm not saying it was all Indians, but to say Indians is multiple different Indians. It's, I mean, like it's, it's so hard to wrap your head around because it's not possible to wrap your head around. And to say culture, I've really been interested by that. 
culture is a never-ending, changing thing. You can say, oh, my culture. Well, your culture just changed because it's one minute later. Yeah. And and there's something new happening in the books, and somebody's changing it right now. And the person you thought you were yesterday is a new person. Oh, uh, sorry. All right. No, G-Man, when, when's the first time you remember hearing or really thinking about that concept of white privilege, and what are, what's your take on it? I guess it was when I was uh, in buying my Ferrari, and I thought to myself, "Wow, you know, yeah, I must. I, I'm really, really blessed to be white because no. I can uh, I can buy a Ferrari." And I, I said to myself, "Wait a minute, wait a minute, though. I earned it. I earned that by hard work, doing the right thing, getting up, going to work, being on time." taking a shower every night, being clean, and doing the right thing and obeying all the laws. Anybody that does that can buy a Ferrari, a Maserati, anything they want. They can buy a nice big house if they want to. It has nothing to do with the color of your skin and the privilege. As far as I'm concerned, black privilege has been in my life. I've had a couple of instances where black people have – gotten advantages over me because they're black and it didn't bother me one iota it not one at all if they're if they're going to do that you go ahead and you have fun with it and i'll go my way you go your way i don't i didn't hold them you know i didn't hold it against them or anything like that yeah i think it was dennis peterson david do you listen to dennis peterson at all or Or dennis i'm sorry (laughs) dennis prager Oh, Dennis Prager? Yeah. Uh, I've probably heard him. I'm not familiar, okay. though. He, one of his sayings is that someone's color is the is the least important or interesting thing about any given person. Yes. I mean, it's it's just a thing. I mean, we all bleed red. Yeah. I, you know, obviously we have different situations where, you know, a, a black, white, this person has a, a more likely chance of getting certain diseases or, you know, you know it, it is what it is, but... It, well, and I think the the hard part is, you know, there is still a feeling in American air that whites have the upper hand, and in 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 the masses they do. There's seventy percent of America is white, and for some reason the colonizers didn't do a great job at showing what white people can do, you know, as far as a, a big chunk of them. Um, and I say that, I, I shouldn't say that blanketing it, but I mean, like, as far as when slavery was being, you know, put into place and we were just rolling through with it, um, you know, it really built up a massive white population here. And, you know, at the end of the day, I, I'm sure in a all white town, a black person feels strange going into the gas station more than I know it, but I also feel strange going into the gas station in certain parts of other neighborhoods that, you know, and it is what it is. And um, I don't know what to do about that. And it shouldn't be my fault that there's a big, like, I think we should just love each other. And, like, can I help you? No? Okay. Let me know if you need anything. All right. See ya. Like, I don't I'm just more laid back, but also get mad when people tell me how I should think. Yeah, that's the, I think that's the worst part of it, or or try to re-educate, not you personally, but just people, the the country in general, and morally shame them and all that stuff. But all right, well, this, I mean, we could talk about that all night, but I've got some someone someone recently asked me, and I'll ask each of you to to do this, and then I'll I'll be the last person to go. And as always, one of our things on the right angle is we never know what anyone else is going to bring up. So none of this is rehearsed and, and you don't have the answers ready to go. So, G-Man, you can go first. What oh, special. Yeah. With my 1.5 grade average, go ahead. <laughs> what, what three pieces of advice would you give to an engaged man? An engaged is, man? Yeah, who is... I, not, I will... Yeah, go uh, ahead. Okay, I, I will... I don't know if I would want to bore him with three. I would give him one very important piece of advice. And I've, I guess I've learned this through life, obviously, and through several of my classmates, which I've talked about before. Oh, yeah. And that is uh, um, 
if you decide to marry this woman, always, always remember, and this is sounds cliched, but it's 100% solid gold advice. The grass is not greener on the next door. Ah, uh, yep. In, in other words, in other words, what what I'd say what I'd say to this person is I'd say you you better be ready to be with her the rest of your life or him with the, for the rest of your life because what happens is, and I know it's happened with with four or five of my classmates that between them have fifteen marriages. <laughs> That's not a lie. I know, um, and, and that is that you. If you get married, if you divorce your wife and you get married again, uh, what what that is like, or if you just start dating somebody, it's like a kid at Christmas. You you go and you go under the tree and you unwrap that present, you know, as in your next girlfriend or whatever it is. You're all excited. You're all excited and you play with it, you know, and you're hardcore with it for like two or three weeks, and then that's it. You're done with it. And then, and then everything settles in to what it was like with your last spouse mm-hmm. there. So, you know, please remember that. It's, you know, the excitement yeah. wears off very quickly. And you don't, have, you don't have that bond anymore that you had with that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that mm-hmm. you'll have been married five, ten years with that other wife. That bond that you had with her that you'll probably have with almost anybody else the rest of your life all right david how about you oh advice for an engage oh an engaged man engaged so man. In- interesting you know what's funny is <laughs> when you said engaged man i thought you meant like a man who's engaged and passionate about life no that's funny yeah because yeah. uh, I'm like, well, <laughs> hey, you know, if you're in, like, this is a good answer too. Okay. Um, now I understand the answer. I'm glad you said this uh, to me again because I was going to say something totally different. All right. Um, an engaged man. Wow. Um, yeah, because I've I've been married now for six years. Okay. Um, an engaged man, I would say, put in the work and be there for the person. Be there for your partner. I feel like a lot of times marriages probably fail because people stop doing the little things that matter you know and they stop going out and doing the you know doing stuff with people and i think engage like you said g man i feel like people get so excited and they're you know engagement is you know definitely kind of the start of another you know part of your relationship and and then there's probably fear as well you know i i think probably there's a lot of guys that are scared you see people backing out of marriages and i think not forgetting that doing those little things are a major part of relationships. It's not just, oh, we have fun and, you know, there's the, the pleasure part of the relationship. And it's it's hard work. It's like a job. But also there's so many things that come out of it that you won't get without putting in those that effort. You know, I mean, it's even just coming home and doing the dishes. It's coming home and making sure the, the toilet is clean, that your, the pee you dribble down... <laughs> isn't there for her to clean later yep oh crap um, i speaking lost of, on gentlemen, that one. <laughs> gentlemen speaking of i need to go because i've got a <laughs> no but actually i i should put this on my calendar yeah <laughs> yeah there you go i should do I, I talk the talk but can i walk the walk i have a lot of good ideas oh how long both for both of you and i'll answer this first um kind of in the same vein but when when we got engaged we got married about six or seven months later, which, you know, in the olden days seems fairly normal. G-Man, how long were you engaged before you got married? I would say probably maybe six months okay. around there. So similar. Yeah. How about you, David? Yeah. Wow. I, I f- it was about a year, okay. roughly a year, and I think with everything going on with Emma's mother and, and my wife's mom passed away about literally May of the year we got married. So May, no, excuse me, March, April, May. So two months before we got married. Oh, okay. So there was a lot going on already, and you know, I I I don't know if that's all of it, but I know, I mean, 
they're expensive. Weddings are expensive. Getting everything and our friends together. Um, but yeah, we were about a year. Okay. Uh, dating for five years. and then, Oh, wow. No, about four. Dated, yeah, dated five years and now we've been married six. So a little over 11 years together. Wow. So what, what, yeah. uh, cause G-Man, how long were you seeing your, uh, current current and only wife <laughs> how long were you quote dating do you think uh probably two and a half to three years oh really okay so yeah. i guess for me it was uh well before we got engaged it was probably like it wasn't that long probably 10 months of like actually dating maybe even a little less than that but it just seems like now and david you can you're a, a testament to this, and I don't know if it's for better or for worse. It seems like, in general, people date a lot longer and then have much longer engagements than... Yeah, yeah I was going to just say that, that it seems like that. And I wonder if it's good to really t figure out who people are. Yeah. I don't know. Um, or maybe they're just sitting around waiting, thinking they're dating, and they can have fun still. Right. I, yeah. Well, and it's weird. My my wife and I moved in together within the first two months. Hmm. We just instantly moved in together. And she had her... Well, it was more so I just took my stuff and moved in with her and her the girls that she was living with. So it was four girls and then me in this apartment. Or not an apartment, in a house in Lansing. So five people there. So for the first two years, that was our our first uh getting wow. to know each other so we got to know each other very quickly yeah sounds like a great so. sitcom it, oh boy i we we'd have to edit i think some of the stuff I, and it wasn't my fault yeah i i'm telling you man well some of it was my fault but <laughs> and you're still admitting it to this day yes yeah. wow interesting interesting all right well um G-Man, I know you want to tick at least one or two things off your list. <laughs> I I don't I got all these things and and David's on here now and he's kind of, you know, he's kind of making me feel like a, you know, like a you know. <laughs> so, I, so I, I I don't know about that. Well, anyway, one real quick story for you David. You worked in what uh, did you say uh assisted living? Uh, I I did I did work at an assisted living uh, facility. Okay. Back in high school. Yeah. W w do, when you were doing that, was that because you were thinking that was your goal to align yourself with something like that when you did your job for life type thing? I think I was kind of thrown into that position, and it was a pretty fun position to be thrown into because activity aid. I was doing. I would just gather all the old folks together or people in the rehab center i'd say hey we're having bingo tonight or we're watching a movie having happy hour church service whatever it was come on down and they i don't know if i want to and i would just talk them into it <laughs> i i would like i'd have them doing wheelies down the hallway they didn't want to but i would make them do wheelies going down the hallway <laughs> They'd be, oh but you know i had fun with it so but yeah i i think it was maybe the start of it but i think it just so happens to be i i found that position because of my ex's mom but um i've known for a long time that i want to work with people and i want to help people and i don't want to go too far on my own thing because what were what were you asking that for well i was just going to tell you a funny little story that my uh my brother worked in a assisted living old folks home you know type of a thing and i was talking to him one day on the phone he goes he goes, you know, my my brother was a habitual nail biter. He, you know, he, his nails were always short all the time, biting, biting, biting. He says, uh, guess what? I quit um, biting my nails. I go, how'd you do that? He said, I started working in an old folks' home because <laughs> in an old folks' home you have to change Gross. bed fan, bed pants, oh. and, and uh, you know the linen and things like that. And he said, uh, he said, that cured me of biting my fingernails. I said, well, oh perfect. We got we to gotta put that out there for some other people that are chronic nail biters, you know, yeah. to do something I, like that. I, 
I used to, I don't know why, I used to bite my nails. And man, now it's disgusting to me because I think about like, what is like, there's probably like mold growing under there. Even though I try to like, you know, like, I don't know what's under there. Uh, That's what he was thinking too. He goes, wait a minute. I just, I did that. Yeah. So he had nice long fingernails after that for the rest of his life. High school David was a different David. (laughs) You keep going back to you being like a wild guy and stuff. What? What changed your mind to become somebody not quite as wild? My f- responsibilities, my wife, my little brother. I have a, he's 17, he'll be 18 in, oh, in wow. December. Oh, wow, a little, little. But I have a little yeah. brother, yeah. Jeez. He's, uh, he was, we're, and we're almost like best friends. When we get off here, we'll be playing video games together. He's coming over this weekend, you know, and it's been like that since he was really little, and it was even though I don't have any kids and I, I may never be able to have kids for, I don't know, whatever reason. It's just, it has never actually happened. And I, it's not that I didn't try, Yeah. Um, (laughs) but um, you know, at the end of the day uh, he was, it was like having a, my own little, like not my own kid, but I didn't want him to see me dead in jail, um, making the wrong decisions, being a bad example. And I know I'm not always the best example. And sometimes I think, you know, I, you know, he see, you know, our family sees the worst of us, you know, they do. And I, you know, I hate that because I always want to be, it's probably like a parent, like no parent wants to their child to see him argue or mad or upset, but welcome to the real world. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a lot to be a lot to be said down that road. Have you it's, have you thought? And this, as always, you don't have to answer any questions we talk about or any topics. But have you and your wife talked about adopting? Yeah, but I, you know, it's funny. I think if I had the the situation in front of me, I would probably do very well with it, and I really think I would be a good father. But I'm really taking advantage of not having kids. <laughs> I don't know if you know how hard it is it would be to play pool as much as I do if I no. Um, I do. I'd have to buy a pool table downstairs. I'd have to, yeah. You know, I think maybe I, I've been a little. We've been a little selfish because sometimes when we see people with kids, we're like, holy smokes, we're like, we do what we want, and and maybe that's lazy, but also, and it's not even just that, but I've also taken on the role at my own jobs to take care of people and I I take it home with me and I feel like sometimes it you know maybe it's a good thing that I don't have uh, an extra group of youth that I have to take care of because I can really devote my time because I currently work with kids you know at you know in the school you know in, in my program so um, you know, with disabilities and it's, you know, and, and then all the population that we work with and I, you know, I don't, gosh, I hate saying it like, you know, it's not woe is them or like, oh, pity them. But, you know, they, they have more problems than the basic groups of people. Right. And it feels like I said earlier, a duty in my life to, to be there for them. And, uh, sometimes I feel like a fake, you know, people come to me, David, you're so positive, this and that. And like, we, did you see me the other day when I was ticked off and, you know, at home, you know, throwing stuff around like a dummy? Like, no. <laughs> so I don't do that. It's not like that's a regular thing, but, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, it's, it is. It goes back to that same thing that I said. I'm not novel in saying it of whatever your life is seems normal to you and and once you have kids, like we have five kids, and you just literally can't imagine even having four or three or two or one. And I know everyone's circumstance is different, but it is a question that I often ask. And, you know, there's the people who don't have them because they can't or they try and they can't. But then there's the ones that make the conscious decision not to, which to me, I mean, to me, that is definitely more selfish than you've tried, you've had problems, you've thought about it, whatever. But um it's just, yeah, I was talking to my one of my sons yesterday about a cousin of mine who couldn't have kids and they didn't adopt for whatever reason and, and super successful. You know, they retired before they were 40. And, you know, what do you do? What do you leave behind? It's just 
one of those things I think probably as you get older, you think of that more and more. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think when I watched my grandfather pass away this year, and it was odd, man, uh, knock on wood, that was the first family member that I've lost. Like the first, and shoot, you know, of course, now that I'm getting older, they're going to, it's going to start happening. But to see the family, the, 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 daughters and the sons and the grandkids all surrounding and helping and pitching in like I was really thinking well what if I die who's gonna help my wife who you know who's gonna help Emma um that's definitely stressful yeah you know and I think that's one of the things of having and raising a good family because that's the thing you know you can raise family but um I know plenty of kids that are up and they're gone and some parents kick kids out of their house and they go you go move on your own it's like Ah, you know, not every family's the same, but yeah, um, I think raising a good family can uh, bring you happiness down the road for sure. G man, thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> I I just I I have told my wife several times over the years. I always prayed that I didn't have a boy because he would probably wind up being like I was when I was little. And Isn't it? Yeah, through, through the grace of God, my mother loved me through all the stuff I put her through. And, and I was very concerned that, that, that I would spread that gene to the next uh, generation <laughs> on my part. And I don't know if I'd have been able to handle that. But yeah. uh, fortunately, yeah. I, I didn't have a boy. So uh, it, it turned out well. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Wow. Well, here's speaking of Jordan Peterson. First of all, I, I want to recommend to you too specifically, but everyone that I listens to this and I got to put it on Facebook and whatever, but he has that new ARC uh, organization, which is the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, which is sort of a counter to the World Economic Forum. And they just wrapped up. Oh, he did start it. Yeah, they just wrapped up their conference and he gave about a 25 minute closing speech. And it is just, uh, I think if you go on to to YouTube and search for it, it's Mm -hmm. just unbelievable. I mean, it's just, wow, it was really good. But he was he was talking to Russell Brand, I don't know how long ago, I just watched it yesterday, and here's, I think I, I got this exact quote, so I'll let either of you comment on this, but he, he he's just so insightful, so take mm-hmm. a minute if you need it. He said, every bit of responsibility that is rightfully yours that you haven't taken on makes the world a lesser place. Yeah. And then he said, it turns you into a slave and opens the doors to tyrants yeah yep you know it's the, the the first thing i'm thinking of is and it's something that i had wrote down earlier balancing fun in my required duties which is a major challenge in my life hmm. because i'm not great at managing my time <laughs> and i i don't mean to cut you off g-man if you had something sweet to say but i i really feel like instantly when you said that uh, all I could think of was me shooting pool. I've been mm. shooting pool. I shot pool so much lately, like just <laughs> going and shooting. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing with my life? Like, what am I going to do with this pool, these pool skills? Like, am I going to like meet a group of friends because I'm shooting pool? Like, yeah. what, I I don't know. I mean, it's it's better than a lot of things. And I haven't been drinking as much doing it, which is really great, it's, which is the opposite of what most people would think. Right. But... And what the heck are we, what was the question again? I got talking about pool and I don't care about anything else. I'll say it again and then G-Man, G-Man can take it. Every, every bit of responsibility that's rightfully yours that you haven't taken on makes the world a lesser place. Yeah. How, how do you know what responsibility you should have taken on that would make the world a lesser place? Yeah, that's, that's I guess, yeah, that's a subset of that is at what point do you know, and is, is it how you're raised? Is it how you're living your life that you say, I am responsible for that? Obviously, you're responsible for your actions and your thoughts. And I guess you could look at it as if you give that away by not, not I mean, it could be not voting, not thinking for yourself. Um, when I think of what he says, it turns you into a slave because as soon as you give up a responsibility for making a living, you know, for being on time to work and someone says, all right, well, you know, here's, I'm going to put you in this government program and everything's going to be fine. And where does that leave? 
where does that lead? Yeah. I guess that's kind of my thought on that. Right to the Democratic Party, I guess. That's what Jeez. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and I think I think Jordan Peterson is a a brilliant, obviously, and I'm saying brilliant, like like I me even saying the word brilliant, I feel ignorant uh, <laughs> because he. It's just so neat to listen to him speak because he he's really thoughtful. But I I know there's different times where. I think when people find him, they get so caught up on his words is because he's speaking. He's a person who the majority of the things he puts down for people to hear is in audio. And he's just at the cuff just saying it. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys are like me, but I'm going to make a mistake every once in a while <laughs> or say something that I really could have added an extra piece to be like, okay, well, in most situations, it's like this. Right. And he also generalizes very often. Yeah. You know, he does very, uh, which is totally fine. You can gen to, to use on average males this and people get so worked up to, that he says on average women do this. And they go, oh, women do that. It's like, well, if 70% of women do this, it's like it's just we're just saying that a lot of times it happens yeah you know if 70 percent of the time you get beaten it's like i get beat all the time like i don't know <laughs> not saying that that's the situation but if you get cotton candy 70 percent of the time you're expecting cotton candy a lot yeah that's a great way of putting it i think people just need to aspire to be good people whatever that means and i think that's such a big blanketed statement but you know, a lot of times we get discouraged because we make wrong decisions. And I was just having a conversation with a guy this morning that, you know, I have all these things I want to say to people and they're so positive and this and that. And then I go, you know, and I go and live the exact opposite that very night, you know, but I have such good intentions, but, you know, I make the wrong decisions sometimes. And, you know, it's hard to, you know, you feel like you're living a lie sometimes to walk around and tell people like, and even on this recording. And that's the thing is, you know, <laughs> I don't want anybody to think that I have the right answers, you know, and that I have, you know, all the suggestions I make should be followed. You know, I, I love arguments. I, I don't love to argue, but I love the spirit of a little bit of a debate. You know, it's, I think it's what we need. And that's what I think Jordan Peterson really has been hitting on a lot too, is that, you know, the, the fact that speech is, part just as important as thought because if you can't communicate what you're thinking to your coworker, your friend or your neighbor and you just get beat up for being like hey what do you think of this knock like okay i guess i won't say that yeah you know or i'll say it to somebody else and we just won't communicate like you know, like communication is so big and i feel like that's why wars start you know there's a lot of different wars that i feel like if people could just sit down and say this is what i meant although a lot of it's over money and so we're over money. <laughs> a lot of money. Yep. So. G-Man. <laughs> when in doubt, I just call your name. Yeah. With, with uh, <laughs> I, I'll just go to something a little lighthearted uh, here. All right. Um, uh, Please. Yeah. <laughs> this, um, I was perusing the Costco uh, website. And for, you know, because I, I do all my Christmas shopping on Costco, you know. So yeah. for all you people out there that I love, there was a, a $27,000 bottle of scotch on the Costco wow. website. Was that McAllen? Uh, yes. Did you see that? No, I just figured. So, so I'm, a, I'm, I'm sipping on a glass of Bunahaben 12 right now, gentlemen. And I, I don't know what that is. What is that? It's a scotch. It's a scotch. Okay. Oh, it's a scotch. Okay. Yeah. Does the 12 mean 12 years? 12 years, yes. 12 years. That means that was in an oaken barrel for 12 years. Some some sort of oak cask, yes. Okay. Oh. Okay. The, I, I read that I said $27,000 for a bottle. And who's who's going to buy that that's perusing on Costco? <laughs> Certainly not me. But but it said there would only, there would only be 450 bottles released over nine years they're both or i mean they're all individually numbered with a wax stamp and then this is what really really got to me and i don't know if david you're into that stuff or not but they they talked about the taste and what they said was mm -hmm. the taste is sweet with a zesty orange and vanilla <laughs> toffee 
note <laughs> and it, it, and and a, and a hint of douchebaggery. <laughs> you I'm read sorry. it then. You knew what it was. That's what I no, was going to say. No, yes, yes. <laughs> It's, oh my gosh. I, I'm. I actually have a, an old YouTube channel where I'm the American Scotch doctor, and I would I would taste wi- Scotch whiskeys primarily, and some bourbons, and I would just review them. But I don't think I ever tasted one that was over a hundred and twenty dollars. Um, Might as well be twenty seven thousand, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but but it's it's uh, there places like that or, or uh, McAllen in general is. It's for people that are, it's literally buying and selling and collecting and people that buy that to taste it are either very like absolutely rich. And if they actually know how to enjoy that whiskey, I'm, I'm going to say most people that even buy that probably don't really know how to enjoy it because if, if you think you got to spend 27,000 to get the best, I don't know, man, it's, it's a gimmick. It really is. That's exactly (laughs) what I thought when I. When I when I read everything they said about it, it's, it's for sales for sure. Yeah. I because I've had so many kinds of whiskey, and and here's the thing too: I don't think I've had a whiskey that's over two hundred and fifty dollars, and so I can't really speak to those bottles. But nobody in in the world can convince me to spend what I could do to help other people and support my life and do so many other things on this obscure casking that they've done <laughs> and 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 it was probably old it was probably did you say it was 25 years old or something like that i don't know how no it, it just it said that they were going to uh, release uh 450 bottles over nine years yeah. i i don't well, know got, yeah 50 years old mccallan has sold bottles in the millions it's it's out of control it's wow. and it's all for it's all uh there's people that literally have companies just buying and selling whiskey, Jeez. buying it. And it's almost like a stock. It's yeah. like they buy it knowing that in 10 years it's going to crank up and they're going to try to make money off of it. And that's that's why I got real picky about it. And I, I know the small the small school guys, like the, my favorite distilleries are the holes and the walls because those are the real ones. Wow. <laughs> that's It's amazing. I'm just sitting here listening how interesting that is. And yet it is so totally foreign to me that I was also thinking of the most expensive cause I don't, I've never drank, drank drunken any alcohol. And so probably uh-huh. the, the most expensive bottle of anything I've had, <laughs> I mean, it's probably whatever you go to a restaurant and they charge you four fifty for a Sprite <laughs> or a Coke. That's yeah. literally the most expensive drink I've had in my life. And it doesn't well, taste you, good. Did you not friend. go to no. Cedar Point? Cedar Point? No. Oh, God. Well, I guess, yeah, we went to Hawaii recently, and I'm sure. You get charged. Isn't that wild sometimes? A, a bottle yeah. of water. Don't go. Don't get G-Man started on bottled water. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Fish use it for a toilet. I don't. I don't yeah. do that stuff. In fact, so. G-Man, only an emergency. G-Man, yeah. would it be safe to say in a in a year you drink less water than you do Coke? Are you kidding not? me? I don't know. A, I thought you were gonna say in a year do you drink a gallon of water? Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> You don't like your water, G-Man? I don't drink water. I don't think my body doesn't think water. G-Man, I'm going to send you I'm going to send you bottled water for Christmas. You'll <laughs> have it for the next yeah. 10. Or or Mason. No, I'm going to send you some Mason jars of water and you can just sh- you can just give them back when you get it. No, I, no. I'm a weirdo about water. I drink I've got a Mason jar of water next to me cuz I didn't want to get too parched. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take your Mason jars of water and I'm going to I'm going to put them in storage for 10 years then i'm gonna sell them for Ooh, like like 100 on, on bucks Costco's a, a website. jar yeah 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 there you exactly. go exactly perfect came oh, right man. out of david's tap that's <laughs> yes what, and that's he's the scotch doctor yeah the scotch doctor <laughs> gave me this water i'm gonna do that don't don't send me any water i'll i'll, uh, I'll yeah. put it in my basement for 10 years if, if you help me profit off it i'll send it uh, absolutely all 50 right. 50 all the way <laughs> but you know in 10 years the water thing actually might be needed so ah you're on to something there you go because who knows where we're gonna be there you go absolutely yeah. all right well 
as amazing as it sounds on that cheery note, we've got probably an hour in the books, even with our little technical snafu. So, David, great to have you. We'll we'll have you back sometime just to talk yeah, about this is real fun. random topics. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's all. I, I know we are going to have another special guest, uh, an interview type uh, coming up, which should be super fascinating. And I know David will share this and future episodes with his ever-growing entourage. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And thanks for coming back every week to the right angle. That was easy.